Artyom made his way through the crowd to the starting position where Mark was standing. Everything is hush-hush, Mark announced, rubbing his hand with glee, hands with glee. Asked exactly what he had in mind. Mark explained that he had just thrust a personal bet upon the old chief that his own new rat would overrun the favorite on the first round. He had to put Hardium up for it, Mark reported. But in exchange, he demanded a visa for all of Hansa and Artyom and himself. For Artyom and himself. The chief, to be sure, rejected the proposal, saying that he doesn't engage in the slave trade. Artyom breathed a sigh of relief but adding that such presumptuous insolence could have, could, would have to be punished. If the rat lost, Martin Hardy would have to claim the latrines at Pavlovskaya ring for one year. If the rat won, then, okay. They would get the visa. Of course, he was positive that the second option was out of the question, which is why he agreed. He decided to punish the copy upstarts who had dared to throw down a challenge to his bed. And do you have your rat? Artyom asked cautiously. Of course, Mac, Mark reassured him. A real brute. She'll tear pirate shreds. Do you know how she ran away from me today? I could barely catch her. I chased her nearly to Nevokas at Sky. What's her name? Her name? Sure, what's her name? Well, let's say Rocket, Mark proposed. Rocket, does that sound menacing? Artyom was not sure that the competition was really intended to see whose rat would tear a rival to pieces, but he kept his mouth shut. But Mark explained that he had only caught his rat today, Artyom couldn't stand it. And so, how do you know she's going to win? I believe in her, Artyom, Mark proclaimed solemnly. And anyhow, you see, I've really wanted to have my own rat for a long time. I used to bet on other people's rats. Those would lose, and I would think to myself, never mind, the day will come when I will have my own. 
and she'll bring me love. But I never decided to do it. After all, it's not that simple. You have to get permission from the referee, and that's such a drag. My whole life will go by. Some newcomer will gobble me up, or I'll die all on my own. And I'll never have my own rat. And then you turned up, and I thought, here we go. It's now or never. If you don't take a risk now, I said to myself, then you'll always be betting on someone else's way. And I decided, if I go, if, if I'm going to play, then let me play for high stakes. Of course, I want to help you. But excuse me for saying that, that, that that's not the main thing. And so I wanted to go right up to the old part. Mark lowered his voice and said, I'll wager myself against your pirate. He got so enraged that he forced the referee to certify my rat out of turn. You know, he added, barely audible, this moment will be followed by a year of playing the latrines. Because our rat will surely lose, Artyom desperately tried to reason with him for the last time. Mark looked at him attentively, then smiled and said, But what if? Having sternly looked over the audience, the referee smoothed his gray hair, cleared his throat with his self-importance, and began to read off the nicknames of the rats taking part in the race. Rocket was last, but Mark didn't pay any attention to that. Pirate got most applause than the others, and only Artyom clapped for Rocket because Mark's hands were occupied holding the cage. Artyom was still hoping for a miracle that would spare him from ignominious, from an ignominious end in the stinking abyss. Then the referee fired a blank from his Makarov, and the owners opened the cages. Rocket was the first breakout, and Artyom's heart leaped with joy. But then, while the other rats charged off along the length of the passage, some slower, some faster, Rocket, not living up to her proud name, got stuck in a quarter five meters from the starting line. And there she stayed, 
it was against the rules to prod the rats. Artyom glanced at Mark apprehensively, expecting that he would either start getting violent or, on the contrary, would languish overwhelmed with grief. But the stirred, proud expression on Mark's face reminded him more of that of a captain of the cruiser who gave the order to sink the warship to prevent the enemy from capturing A story about some war between the Russians and somebody else that he'd in a beat-up book lying in the library that he'd read in a beat-up book lying in, in the library at BNK. After a couple of minutes, the first rat, or, or the first rats reached the finish line. Pirate Runt won. Second place was some creature with an unintelligible name. Pushkov came in third. Artyom cast a glance at the referee table. The old gray, the old guy with the mustache, wiping the sweat of excitement from his old tape with the same cloth he had earlier, he had used earlier to clean his glasses, was discussing the results with the referee. Artyom was already expecting that they would forget about them when the old man suddenly slapped himself on the forehead and smiled sweetly, beckoning to Mark. Artyom felt almost like he did at the moment when they took him off for execution. Although the sensation was not as strong. Making his way behind Mark to the referee's table, he confronted himself with the fact that on one way or another, the coast was now clear for him to cross Hansa's territory. The only trick was to find a way to escape. But, Disgrace awaited Swordly inviting them to come up to the dais. Mustache turned to the mustache turned to the audience and briefly explained the wager. Then mildly proclaimed that both rascals were being sent as agreed to clean out the sanitary facilities for one year, starting today. Two haunts of border guards appeared from God knows where, took away Artyom's automatic weapon, assuring him that his main opponent in the coming year would be, would not be dangerous and promised to return the weapon at the end of the sentence. Then suffering the whistling and hooting of the crowd, they were led 
off to the right. The passage went under the floor at the center of the hall, just at the other station. No, just at the other station of the same name. But there, the similarities between the two, that Pavlovskaya ended. The one on the ring conveyed a very strange impression. On one side, the ceiling was low. There were no real columns at all. Arches spanned equal intervals along the wall, with the width of each arch being the same as the width of the gap between them. It seemed as though the first Pevelitskaya had been easy for the, for the builders, as if the dirt there was softer and all, and all one had to do was push one's way across it, whereas at the other Pavelitskaya there was some hard, unyielding rock, which was a real pain to chew through. But for some reason, this place did not produce the, the depressing, melancholy feeling that the Pavelitskaya did. Maybe because here, there was so much light, and the walls were decorated with simple designs and, and imitations of ancient columns, like in the pictures from myths of ancient Greece. In short, this was not the worst place for forced labor. And of course, it was clear right away that this was haunted territory. First of all, it was unusually clean, comfortable, and large. Real lamps cased in glass shone softly from the ceiling. In the hall itself, which, which were many, no, in the hall itself, which, to be sure, was not a spa as spacious as the twin station, there was not a single kiosk, kiosk, though there were many work tables piled with mountains of, of intricate Contraptions. Intricate contraptions. Behind them sat people in a blue overalls and a pleasant smell. The light odor of machine gun oil hung in the air. Probably the work day ended later than at the Pavlovskaya radio line. Handsome paraphernalia hung on the walls, an insignia with a brown circle 
on a white background. Posters appeals to raise labor productivity in quotes from somebody named A. Smith. Under the largest flag between the two stiff soldiers in an honor guard stood a glass table and Artyom lingered there as he passed. Just to satisfy his curiosity about what sacred object might lie beneath the glass. There in red velvet, lovingly lit with tiny lamp lamps, lay two books. The first was a magnificent, magnificently preserved imposing volume with a black cover and a gold embossed inscription that read Adam Smith, the wealth of nations. The second was thoroughly dog-eared. The the second was a thoroughly dog-eared copy of a pocketbook. A piece of trash with a battery dust jacket that was torn and glued together again, on which thick letters spelled out Dale Car- Carnegie. Who, how, Dale Carnegie, how to stop worrying and start living. Artyom had never heard of either author, so what interested him much, so what interested him much more was whether the station chief had used remnants of this velvet to upholster the cage of his beloved rat. One line was not blocked. The trolleys traveled by from time to time, most of them hand-powered, load-loaded with boxes. But once the motorized trolleys passed, enveloped in a cloud of smoke, paused for a minute at the station before continuing further. Artyom was able to get a look at the strong soldiers with black uniforms and black and white striped vests who were sitting on Each had night vision equipment on their heads. A strange short automatic weapon against his chest and heavy body armor. The commander stroking the enormous dark green visored helmet that sat on his knees exchanged a few words with the station security officers. Dressed in the unusually unusual gray camouflage and the trolley vanished into the mountain.
second line, there was a complete plane in even better condition than the one Artyom had seen at Kesnetsky Bridge. There were probably living quarters behind the curtain windows, and through bare windows one could see desks with printers on them, behind which sat their usual business types, and engraved upon a sign over the door were the words, were the words, Central Office. The station produced an indescribable impression on Arthur. It was not that it amazed him like the first Pavlovskaya. There were no traces there of that mysterious, sombre splendor that reminded one of the this degenerated descendants of bygone superhuman greatness and the power of those who had built the metro. But still, people lived here just as if they were not part of the teeming, decadent, senseless, underground existence outside the ring line. Life went on in a steady, well-organized way. After the work day, there was a well-deserved rest. Young people did not go out into the fantasy world of foolish yentas, but to business. The earlier you started your career, the farther up the ladder you could move, and adults were not afraid that as soon as their strength began to ebb, they would be turned out into the tunnel to be eaten by rats. It now became comprehensible that no why Hansa allowed only a few outsiders into its station, and reluctantly at that. The number of places in paradise is limited, only in hell is entry open to all. Why, finally, I, I've immigrated, why, finally, I've immigrated, exclaimed Mark looking happily about him. At the end of the platform, another border guard sat in a glass cubicle with the sign on duty beside a rather small barrier painted with white and red strips or stripes. When someone drove up to the duty officer stopping respectfully, the guard came out of the cubicle with an expression of self-importance, inspected documents, and sometimes cargo, and finally lifted the barrier. Art, 
Artyom noted that all the border guards and customs officers were very proud of their posts. It was immediately obvious that they were doing something they enjoyed. On the other hand, he thought, how could one not like such work? They were taken over to a fence from which the road extended into the tunnel and turned off to, to the side to a corridor for staff quarters. Dreary yellow tile and scooped out pit holes proudly around the real toilet seats. Indescribably filthy overalls, square shovels with some weird stuff growing on them, a wheelbarrow with only one wheel, making wild figure eights, parts that were to be loaded up and carted off to the nearest shaft that led into the depths. And all this was enveloped in a monstrous, unimaginable stench, saturating one's clothes, seeping into each hair from root to tip, penetrating beneath the skin, so that you began to think that it had become part of your very nature and would be with you forever, scaring away your own kind and making them get out of your way before they've even seen you. The first day of this monotonous work passed so slowly that Ardium decided they had been given an infinite shift. Dig, dump, roll, dig again, dump again, roll again, drink, and go back the other way, just so that this thrice damned cycle to be repeated. There was no end in sight to the work, since new visitors kept coming. Neither they nor the security guards standing at the entrance to their premises, to their premises, and and at the end point of their route at the shaft hid their revulsion for the poor laborers. They stood aside squeamishly, holding their noses, or the more delicate among them took a deep breath beforehand so as not to have to ex exhale next to Ardian Mark. Their faces showed such loathing that Ardium asked himself in surprise, didn't all this crap come from their guts in the first place? At the end of the day, 
when his hands were warm to the bone, despite wearing enormous canvas gloves, it seemed to Artyom that he had discovered the true nature of man as well as the meaning of life. He now viewed man as a clever machine for the decomposition of food and the production of shit, functioning almost without a hitch throughout a life without meaning. If by the words meaning, one has in mind some kind of ultimate goal, the meaning was in the process to break down the most food possible, convert it even faster, and eliminate the dregs. Everything that was left of smoking pork chops, juicy braised mushrooms, fluffy cakes, now rotten and contaminated. Personality traits began to fade, becoming impersonal mechanisms for the destruction of the beautiful and the useful, creating instead something putrid and worthless. Artyom was disgusted with people and felt no less aversion to them than they to him. Mark was stoic, stoically patient and tried to cheer up Artyom from time to time by saying things like, Don't worry about it. They told me beforehand that immigration is always difficult at the beginning. And the main thing was that neither on the first nor the second day did any possibility of escape present itself. The security guards were vigilant, and although the only thing Artyom and Mark would have to do to escape was to enter the tunnel beyond the shaft, heading towards Dubrin and Skaya, that was simply Possible. They spent the night in the nearby closet. The door was locked carefully at night, and whatever the time of day, the guard sat at the glass booth by the entrance of the station. The third day of their stay at the station arrived. Time here had not passed according to the usual 24-hour day. It crawled along like a slug in the seconds of an unending nightmare. Artyom had already grown accustomed to the idea that nobody would ever approach him and talk to him again, and that the fate of a pariah was in store for him. It was as though he were no longer human and had turned into an inconceivable monstrous being 
people saw, not just as something ugly and repulsive, but also somehow perceptibly related to themselves, that scared them and repulsed them even more, as if they might catch this much monstrousness or from him, as if he were a leper. First he worked out an escape plan, then came a resounding void of despair. After that a dull stupor took over, in which his intellect was disconnected from his life. He turned inward, drew in the threads of feeling and sensation and went into a cocoon somewhere in the remote corner of consciousness. Artyom continued to work mechanically, his motions as precise as those of the head, uh, of an auto automaton. All he had to do was dig, dump, roll, dig again. Roll again, drag, and go back the other way. Faster to start digging again. His dreams lost any meaning, and in them, just as in his waking hours, he endlessly ran, dug, pushed, pushed, dug, on the evening of the fifth day, Artyom pushed the wheelbarrow, tripped over a shovel that had been left on the floor. The wheelbarrow overturned, the contents spilled, and that he did. And then he fell down into himself. When he arose slowly from the floor, an idea suddenly popped his head, and instead of running for a bucket of clothes, he slowly and deliberately headed for the entrance to the top. He himself could feel that he was now so loathsome, so repulsive, that his aura would have to drive away anyone, or have to drive anyone away. And just at that moment, due to an improbable confluence of circumstances, the security guard, who was invariably hanging around at the end of the route, was, for some reason, not there. Without giving a moment's thought to whether someone might be chasing Artyom started off across the ties. Blinded but hardly stumbling, he walked faster and faster until breaking into a run. This reason had not returned to but his reason had not returned to the job of directing his body. It was still holed up cowering in its corner. 
Behind him, he heard no shouts, no footsteps of pursuers, only the trolley clattering by, loaded with cargo and lighting its way with a dim lantern. Artyom simply pressed himself against the wall, letting him go past. The people on board either did not notice him or did not consider it necessary to pay him any attention. Their gaze, their gazes passed over him without lingering, and they didn't say a word. Suddenly, he was seized with a feeling of his own invulnerability conferred on him by his fall. Covered with stinking sludge, it was as if he had become invisible. This gave him strength and consciousness gradually began to return. He had done it. Who knew how? Again, all good sense, despite everything, he had managed to escape from the accursed station. Nobody was even following him. It was strange. It was amazing. But it seemed to him that if he were only to try right now to comprehend what had happened, to dissect the miracle with the cold scabble of rationality, then the magic would dissipate immediately. The beam of the searchlight from a patrol trolley quickly strike him in the back. Light shone at the end of the tunnel. He slackened his pace, but after a minute, he was at Dobbin and Skaya. The border guard there satisfied himself with the simple question. Did they call for a sanitary technician and quickly let him through, waving away the air around himself with one hand while holding the other over his mouth? Artyom had to keep moving to keep out of Hanson territory to, to get out of Hanson territory fast before the security guards finally gathered their wits, before he could hear behind him the tramp of iron-rimmed jackboots, before warning shots thundered out into the air and then faster. Not looking at anyone, keeping his eyes on the floor, his skin crawled with with the disgust those around him felt for him, a vacuum forming around him so that he did not give to elbow his way through the dense crowd. Artyom strode to the border post, and now what's he going to say? More questions, more demands to present his passport. 
How could he reply? Artyom, Artyom's head hung so low that his chin touched his chest, and he saw absolutely nothing around him so that the only thing he remembered about the whole station were dark, neatly arranged granite slabs on the floor. He kept walking, frozen with anticipation of the moment when he would hear the peremptory order to stand still. Hence's orders Hans's border was closer and closer. Now, right now. What kind of rubbish is this? A gasping voice resounded with his ear. You know, in his ear, there it was. I did not. I got lost. I'm not from here, muttered Artie. Tongue tied from nervousness, or maybe just getting into his role. Well, get the hell out of here, do you hear me, you ugly mug? The voice sounded very persuasive, almost hypnotic, making him want to obey right away. Sure, I, I would, mumbled Artyom, afraid not knowing how to get out of this Begging is strictly forbidden for Hansa territory. On Hansa territory, the voice said sternly. This time it was from a greater distance. Of course, right away, I have little children. Artyom finally realized what bottom, what button to press, became more animated. What children? Are you nuts? The invisible border guard flew into a rage. Papa, Lamaco, come here. Get this scumbag out of here. Neither Papa nor Lamaco wanted to soil their hands by touching Artie. So they just shoved him in the back with the barrels of their automatics. Their superiors' angry curses flew after them. To Artyom, this sounded like heavenly music. Serpent Ahavskaya Station. He had left the haunts of the Finally, he looked up, but what he saw in the eyes of the people surrounding him made him look back. This was not tidy. This was not tidy, handsome territory. He was once again in the midst of the dirty, poverty-stricken bedroom that ran throughout the country. And even here, Ardium was too close. Too miraculous. No, the miraculous armor that had saved him along the way, making him invisible, forcing people to turn away from the fugitive and not to notice him, 
to let him through all the outposts and checkpoints, and now turn back into a stinking, shitty scab. Eventually, or evidently, it was already past noon. Now that the initial, the initial, now that the initial exultation has worn off, the strange dream, as if borrowed from someone else, with which had forced him to keep walking across the stretch of Avalette Sky to Dobrin and Skya abruptly disappeared and left him alone with himself, hungry, deathly tired, without a penny to his name, giving off an unbearable stench, still showing traces of the blows.